To be a good horse trainer, it takes two fundamental character traits, faithfulness and gentleness. And only the Apostle Paul believes that the Holy Spirit can empower you to express these character traits in your life. Let's join our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wurtson, and discover just what does it mean to be a faithful and gentle person through the power of Jesus. I just got back from the East Coast, and uh, over there in Philadelphia, they don't know much about what you all know about as Texans. You all have seen old cowpokes uh, train and break horses. In fact, uh, back in the East, they know it a little bit from watching old Western. Remember the old-fashioned way of breaking horses? In fact, just to make an extreme case, you, you know, you go out in the plains and in the old days and you get these wild Mustangs, you know, that have kind of proliferated out from when the Spanish brought horses over here and they become the backbone of the, of the Native American whole culture. And in the old days, back in the, like the 1880s or so, they go out and, and find those wild Mustangs. And we take a stallion, and what you do is you, you make kind of a rough-hewn uh, wooden corral. And the basic idea is these old guys that look just like the Marlboro Man, you know, they're rugged, they're strong, they go in there and they jump up on top of the back of that Mustang and they, they ride them out. They run them till all the buck is out. And that was the way that a lot of cowboys trained horses for years like that. A lot of cowboys are still training them. Now, since the movie The Horse Whisperer, you all know that there's a new and better way. Actually, it's not so new. In fact, Xenophon actually uh, trained uh, his war horses uh, this way. Uh, you can read in Alexander the Great. Uh, Xenophon writes about Alexander the Great. And back in those days, the whole armies moved with horses, the war horses. In fact, up until the Civil War, horses were the backbone of your army. And if you stop and think about it, when you're, you know, you're in the midst of a battle and you've got to have your arms free to shoot arrows and to throw spears and everything else, you've got to have a really trained horse underneath them. And so that was kind of the, the beginning of, of this different way of training horses. I've actually had the privilege of knowing two real-life uh, horse gentlers in my life. Uh, you all know Hugh Hoover, and you've all, I talked about my friend, and he does that. But I actually had a friend in Nebraska that I knew years ago, a fellow named Ted Anderson. And my wife's dad, uh, Arthur Van Campen, was a pastor in Broken Bone, Nebraska. And Mary and I would often go up there, and Ted and Jenny Anderson were really good friends of ours. And we would often go out to the ranch, and we'd go out there to eat, and, and Ted would be working the pen. He had an indoor round pen. In Nebraska, you've got to have an indoor or you're going to only work about one month out of the year. And uh, I remember going up there, and you, you remember the scene? You, you take this stallion, and we'll make it a stallion. It's a little bit extreme. And Ted would begin working with that stallion. You put a lead on the stallion, no blanket, just the lead, and you have a light whip. It, it looks to me like what we would call back east when I was raised, like a light buggy whip. And Ted would never touch the animal with that whip. But he would begin just flipping that, that whip near the animal's rear end and begin that stallion in a circle. He would lope him around that pen, round and round and round and round and round. And eventually, the stallion tires. And when he tires, he'll turn his head and look towards the trainer. And that's when the trainer relaxes the lead and he waits. And it's amazing to watch this, you know, that, that Ted would wait. 
and see the stallion comes towards him, and then he would try to move a tiny bit towards the stallion, and wham, the stallion would lose it, man back around again. And sometimes even lose it and, you know, you know throw its hoofs, rear up, and all kind of stuff, depending upon the horse's personality. And then we start again. And the basic idea is eventually that stallion would come all the way in towards Ted, and Ted will be able to move towards the animal. Then I'd watch Ted go all over. He'd start out on his head real gently, getting up, and the, again, often the stallion would break. And one of the things that's real important is to be, is to be real reliable. And all of Ted's moves were real uh, gentle moves, and they were easy moves. You don't jerk like that, or you lose them. It's an amazing thing that both uh, the guys that I know that work with animals, Mary's dad's worked with animals, Hugh worked with animals, Ted was a really close friend of mine that worked with animals. All of them were, were men that were gentle. They might not be gentle in the way they worked with people, but the way they worked with animals was gentle, or else your animals didn't get trained. And so maybe you'll get two for the price of one. How many of you have untrained dogs at home? Well, you're going to find out why that's true. Because two things. You haven't learned to be dependable. You haven't learned to be faithful. And you also haven't learned to be gentle. Eventually, the horse would come all the way in towards Ted. And he would put a blanket. That was the next step. And he put the blanket underneath the horse and over the top of the horse and up by its head and down by its tail. He would do what I was trained. You never do. You never go behind a horse. And Ted would have it so you could go you know, behind the horse, underneath the horse, whatever you wanted to do. Because the basic idea was to totally get that horse familiarized with a person, to get them really broken, but not broken so they have their head down and they don't have any spirit. But the idea of being a horse gentler is that you prove your dependability, you get that animal to trust you, and you do that by your, by your reliability, by your consistency, and by your gentleness. One of the ways to illustrate that idea of dependability, I remember one time Mary and I went over to eat and, and Ted was working with a horse that he was trying to get completely trained. And one of the things that's real important is you've got to get a horse to go easily into a stall. You know, you don't want a horse that, man, every time you go to put him up, you know, they're going hey, you know, all over the Robin Hood's barn. And that's an unnatural thing for an animal to go into a confined space where it's close. And so he was working with this stallion, trying to get the stallion to go into the stall all different ways, backwards, frontwards, and without any fear. And man, that stallion, would, he'd, he'd just begin to move and then he'd break and then we'd be back around again. And we were supposed to eat supper there. I remember for an hour and a half, we're waiting to eat supper and finally Ted's able to come in and say, okay, let's eat. I said, Ted, what are you doing? He said, I can't let that stallion win. Because if he wins, I've lost three months of work with him, and I had to get it so that he moved into that confined space, moved into that simulated stall, didn't break out of it, and then I can leave. And, he, and I just was thinking faithfulness and gentleness. And I want to talk to you about those two characteristics today. Turn the Bible to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul talked to us about what we're like without Christ in our life and what we'll continue to be like without Christ in our, if Christ isn't allowed to control our life. He talked about the, the actions of the flesh. Then we switched gears and talked about the incredible gifts that you've received the moment you received Jesus. And we've been looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where the Apostle Paul writes, But in contrast to the, uh, the actions of the flesh... 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And now we come to our next two. Faithfulness. We're going to talk about that today. And gentleness. Now, what does it mean to be a faithful person? Well, then honestly, you all know. Faithful isn't a word that's, you know, esoteric. We know that word. But to get a real, you know, just get it really focused, it means someone that you can depend upon. Someone that you can believe them. Someone that you can trust. In fact, the word that's used here, Paul usually uses it of, your, of the gospel message. The gospel message in the book of Galatians is called the faith. In fact, if you've received the gospel in your life, that Jesus died for us, he rose again in the early church, in the New Testament, and then in, the, in, the, in the, what we call the credo statements. They're short statements of faith. They would summarize the faith. Christ died for us in the according to the scripture. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He'd risen. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the great summaries of the faith are statements. See how I just used the word, the faith. So that's one of the ways the word is used, which is the normal way for the Paul to use it. The second way he uses it is the way that you're all familiar with, that, that an evangelist challenges you to put your faith in Jesus. So what they mean is that there's, you learn truth about Jesus, the faith. Then you trust Jesus, so you put your faith in him. So we use this word to challenge you to depend upon Jesus. The final way the word is used is a character that is built into your heart that you become a person that's faithful. And that's all going together. If you learn the truth of the gospel, the faith, and then you put your faith in the person of the gospel, Jesus, then he comes to live inside of you and makes you a person of faith who is dependable. And that should all go together. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, where does this idea of faithfulness, where does it come back to? And this is real important because you need to think about your own life. And one of the things we're going to learn as we study together is that you and I are not dependable people. In fact, if I were to ask the wife in this room, can I depend upon your husband? Is he dependable? Some of you would say, no, he isn't. If I were to ask it vice versa, I said, you know, can you depend upon your wife? And they go, no. In fact, if you get to know any one of us in this room, how many of you have always been a dependable person? You're always someone you can trust in. And that's why you need to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, because when Paul thinks about the fruit of the Spirit, he's not just teaching you like a good uh, Greek philosopher would teach you that you need to develop the quality of faithfulness. And I want you to know that out there in the unbelieving world, um, People want you to be dependable. And so what I'm gonna, you're going to get a whole two-for-one today. If you'll listen to what I'm going to teach today, you'll be a better student. You'll be a better business person. You'll be, you'll, be be, you'll be a better athlete. Because faithfulness, dependability, is one of the basic qualities that you need in order to live in touch with reality. And that's because the ultimate being that created everything is faithful. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you, that's the children of Israel, and choose you because you are more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. This is the Old Testament. Now, some of you have the idea that, we li- that, that the Old Testament is law, 
And it's all about justice. And it's all about, you know, people that earn their way. That's not true at all. The Old Testament is just as much a story of grace as the New Testament. And here's an illustration of it. Moses is getting ready for the children of Israel to go into the promised land. This is the generation that for 40 years has been wandering the wilderness. Their moms and dads have died off because they were unfaithful. They didn't depend upon the promises of God. And Moses has been nurturing this generation to be dependable. And he's he's rooting this new challenge for them to be obedient in a character of God. He begins, first of all, by saying, it's all of grace. He says, you weren't the most populous people. And if he could have added to that, the Egyptians, the Babylonians were much more powerful and numerous. So the, 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 the Jewish boy listening to Moses speak this message couldn't say, well, I'm God's chosen person because I'm so great. And that's true of your own life as well. So the Jewish boy asked, he said, well, Moses, why in the world did God choose us? And Moses tells him it was because of God's love. If you're ever going to become a dependable person, you need to get over the idea that it's about you and that you're so special and you're so lovable and you're so huggable that the reason God responded to you is because you're so great. It's not true. It's because of a great, incredible, wondrous mystery of God. He loves you. And that was true in the Old Testament. He says it's not because you were the most powerful of numerous peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. The Lord loved you. And this is real important. God loves you too. If you're ever going to be, some of you are undependable people because you don't feel loved. Everyone's been undependable to you. Everyone's always let you down. And you, you keep responding to that. And so you become an undependable person too. So the fruit of the Spirit flow together. Remember, the first fruit we learned was love, and here we're learning that God is a loving God. Now, if you're a loving God, what do you do? It says that God loved, that God loved the children of Israel, and he kept the oath that he swore to your forefathers, that he brought you out with a mighty hand, and he redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. How does he demonstrate his faithfulness? He keeps his covenant to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Moses is saying something really important. He says, God loves you, Israelites. Because he loves you, he keeps his promises. Loving is not just a feeling. Love yields an action that you become someone who keeps promises. So if you're a teenage girl and you're 16 years of age and this beautiful knockout quarterback in a football team, 6'4", 185 pounds, presses 300, throws the ball down the field 60 yards, which you could care less about, but you love it when he looks at you with those great big brown eyes and he says, I love you with all my heart. And then next week he tells another cheerleader, I love you with all my heart. And then next week he tells another cheerleader, I love you with all my heart. He's not in love with any of the cheerleaders. In love with himself, the love with his own drives, his own passions. The guy that you're looking for is the guy that you think is kind of dull and kind of he hardly knows what to do half the time. And he might not be just a knockout on the outside. 
But when you're in the hospital and you get sick with meningitis, he's checking on you every single day. And he takes care of you. And he does everything he can to try to meet that need. And some of you, if I threw it open for testimonies, could talk about how your love for your partnership, the one that you eventually married, began where someone proved to be dependable. Because love is related to faithfulness. Love is dependable. And you live in a culture that doesn't honor that. You worship the people that fly like rockets. And they're real, you know, they're, on the outside, they're very exciting and everything. But what you're looking for, that's what the Jane Austen's, that's why Jane Austen has always touched people's hearts. Because she understands that. In the movie that just came out in Pride and Prejudice. It's all built on the irony of misunderstanding, thinking someone's prideful, thinking someone's prejudiced, and, and both, the per, the, both the heroine and the hero go back and forth, and they get in all kinds of complicated situations because they misunderstand each other. But what wins out, what wins out is that the man proves to be a really dependable, faithful person who, contrary to what she thought, really did keep his word and really did come through. And love, when faithfulness is discovered and dependability is discovered, then it explodes into, this is the man I should marry. Where does that idea come from? Where did Jane Austen get that idea? Because the ultimate being in the universe is one that fell in love with his people. And the way that he demonstrates his love for his people is he keeps his promises. And therefore, if you're an Israelite, getting ready to march into the Holy Land, and there's a great big city called Jericho that's much more mighty than any city you've ever seen, you can march with Joshua because God is faithful. It's going to come out okay. So in the Old Testament, God's faithfulness is the rootage of all of our faithfulness. When you get to know God, then you also have those divine genetic characteristics that begin to cause you to become a faithful person. In the New Testament, we worship a God who didn't just deliver us from Egypt. He's not just the God that kept his promise to get us out of slavery in Egypt, but Paul and, the, and Jesus himself just ups the ante, and he says, we now have a God that delivered us from our slavery to sin. And Jesus kept his promise to us. He died on the cross of Calvary for us. He paid the penalty for us. He kept his promise to us. He rose again from the dead. God promised there would be a great male deliverer that would solve the curse of death. And Jesus, when he rose again from the dead, proved God's promise-keeping abilities. Paul's talking to a bunch of Galatians. And he's saying the Holy Spirit wants to produce the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Where's that fruit going to come from? It begins with God. God is the faithful one. And that's a major idea in the Apostle Paul in the New Testament that God is faithful, that you can depend upon him. God is faithful, and his his faithfulness enables us to be able to trust him. Paul also strongly teaches that we are unfaithful, that we don't come through. In fact, if you look at our, uh, you know, unfaithfulness, you have it come in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 3. And Paul starts out in Romans 3. This turn there. I want you to turn there because Paul starts out with refocusing on our unfaithfulness, and he moves 
to Jesus' faithfulness and God's faithfulness. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 3. Because I want you to clearly understand that Paul's not talking about some kind of a characteristic that we come up with, but we're talking about something that Jesus produces in us because it's intrinsic to the divine nature. And when we receive Jesus, the divine nature comes to live inside of us. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 3. What if some did not have faith? Paul specifically, so you'll understand the context, that some are the Jewish people. What if some of the Jewish people, and I'll paraphrase, that should have responded to the message, they should have believed in Jesus, Jesus was their Messiah, and they didn't receive him. That was a big problem in the first century. Why is it that the physical people of the Messiah didn't receive Jesus as their Messiah? So Paul's wrestling with that question. What if some did not have faith? What about the Jews that didn't believe in Jesus? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? In other words, will the fact that the Lord Jesus' physical people prove to be unfaithful? They proved not to get it. They proved not to listen to what Jesus was trying to tell them. They proved to be unfaithful. Caiaphas ended up, the priest of the Jewish people, ends up turning them over to the Romans to crucify him. It's a terrible, dark story. And so the issue that was raised, well, doesn't that prove that the universe is unfaithful, that we live in a world where everything, we can be cynical, that you can't depend upon anybody, even God. Which, by the way, if you were a Greek, the Greeks couldn't depend upon their gods. They worshiped nature in the ancient world, just like some of you are going to be tempted as you go out into the world and your vision expands. You're going to be tempted to worship nature. There's a real resurgence, for example, of Native American religions. And you'll have it taught at school and brought out in the history books, and you'll have it brought out on the Discovery Channel, and you're going to worship nature again. We're going back to nature worship. Well, you need to think really long and hard before you do that. It sounds really esoteric, and nature is really nice to worship when it's a nice sunny day on a Montana mountain stream with a nice soft water coming down the mountainside and catching beautiful trout. Only you need to be sure to throw them all back in. Don't eat any of them. Nature looks really, really good when you do that. You're really in tune with nature. But when you're on the shore of the Gulf of Mexico and Katrina is trying to decide which direction she's going to go and you stand there and let her rumble over you because she decides the last second to turn your way, you're going to find out that nature is also very undependable. She doesn't go where you think she's going to go. She doesn't do what you think she should go. So don't be really careful not to equate God with nature. God's the creator of nature, but he isn't nature. If you try to make nature equals God and there's a direct correlation, that's not true. The Bible teaches that God created nature. But there's been a great twist in nature because of sin. And terribly chaotic things happen in the world. And, and the real God of the universe, he's the one you need to get your eyes on, the one that gave his son. Because he's the one that you can, can depend upon. And you might want to worship, like, like Indians worship their ancestors. Oh, that's a big resurgent thing among people. We need to get in touch with all the spirits from the past life. Well, you know, my dad was a great guy, but he wasn't always dependable. And so I don't want to bring him back. I don't want to just get in touch with my ancestors because all of my ancestors were dirty, rotten crooks in part of their personality. 
We live in a very pluralistic culture, and it's very enamoring to find out, well, you know, in, the, in Asia, they're really in touch with the spirits from the past. Well, what spirits from the past are they getting in touch with? You know, what spirits do you listen to in your seances? Are they really dependable? And Paul is saying in Romans that all of us are undependable. Romans 3, the point of it is, all of us are undependable. And that leads, as we move to the end of the chapter, when we move down to verse 22, there's a new righteousness that comes down to us from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. We've all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God, but we are now justified freely by his grace. And Paul roots dependability. He roots faithfulness in God's promise-keeping ability in Christ alone. So, what, so as we think of the Holy Spirit producing this quality in our life, it begins with you responding to the faithful God. And as you admit your own dependability and you open yourself up to the dependability of God, then you become faithful. We start to see a growth in dependability in your life. And that's why the gospel, for example, Paul would say needs to be preached by faithful preachers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2, it says, And those who have the gospel message proclaimed, it says, Now it's required that those who are going to preach the gospel have been given a trust and they must prove to be faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any other human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Paul says it's required that a person that's given a trust, and he uses a play in this world, he says, as I teach you this morning, he's saying, I've been given a trust. I've been given the voice of Jesus recorded in this word, and he's really there. And I need to be faithful to that trust. You need to be able to depend upon the fact that what I'm teaching this morning is rooted in what is true. You can depend upon it. And Paul is saying that, that, that those that proclaim the word needed to be dependable men. He says that you as, as, as men and women need to prove to be faithful people as you mature in the Lord. Just look at like 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 to give you an idea how Paul, not just in the fruit of the Spirit, but in other sections, in fact, the very last books that the Apostle Paul wrote, probably in 64 or 65, just before he uh, became a martyr, he wrote to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Look at it. It says, don't let anyone look down on your youth because you're young, but set an example for the believer in speech, in life, in love, and then he talks about in faith, and we could translate in faithfulness. Timothy, we should be able to look at your life as a young pastor, and we should be able to see faithfulness. Flip over a couple more pages to Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, the apostle Paul speaks again. Teach the older men, listen men, says, I need to teach you as mature men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control. You are sound in the faith, which means you carefully understand the message of the gospel, but you prove to be faithful men, men that you can safely put your trust in, and you're responsible for passing on this message to the next generation. So what are we saying when we talk about faithfulness? We're talking about in your life, are you someone that if I asked your kids, the kids 18 years of age, getting ready to go away to college, I say, is dad dependable? If you're really following Christ and your kids have lived with you for 18 years, 
if they're honest, they should be able to say, yeah, dad was dependable. So if dad told me he would show up for my soccer game, I could count on it. He was dependable. If you're in business and you're a born-again believer, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, because the Holy Spirit's in your life, if you tell your group, we're going to have a meeting at 9.30, you're there at 9.30. If you're not going to be there until 10 of 10, you're not dependable. And this week, one of the greatest testimonies that you could be for Jesus is if you're going to be there at 10 of 10, then you tell your group the meeting will start at 10 of 10. You got me? Don't tell them it's going to be at 9.30 if you're not going to be there until 10 of 10 because you're undependable. We can't rely upon you. And those are the little things that reveal character. It's just the way it is. You need to be, become a person that your word is connected with reality. For example, one of the things in my own life that I've really, really been working on, I was raised in an evangelist family. My dad had meetings, and, you know, reliably, dependably. My dad had meetings in Yankee Stadium. They actually did have more people outside than inside. So though my buddies at school didn't know what an evangelist was, I was raised with an evangelist. All of my life, I hear jokes about evangelistically speaking. I've heard that at Midlothian Bible Church. Well, he's speaking as an evangelist. Where does that come from? You might not be familiar with that statement. You ask an evangelist, like how many people were at the meeting? Thousands were there. How many people responded for Christ? Oh, there were hundreds that responded for Christ. Well, some of you in this room are accountants. So you were in the meeting and you say there were 852 people there and 20 people responded. That's not thousands, and it's not hundreds. And so we have stretched it. One thing in my own life. Like, how many people come to Midlothian Bible Church? I was in Philadelphia to come and say, I was asked that question over and over again. There's about a 485 that regularly come as adults at a Sunday morning service. There's about, about 125 that are in promised land. We have about 350 kids that come from Awana. None of those figures are evangelistically speaking. I used to say we have over a 1,000 that come. That's Easter. <laughs> and this is when faithfulness becomes like you need to be faithful in your marriage. I made a promise to Mary in 69. I didn't know her very well. She didn't know me very well. And with her dad and her brother, because my dad couldn't make it, they said, will you have this woman to be your wife? in richer for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And I made a promise. Am I dependable? Am I reliable? That's real important. Real important for my kids. Real important for you. It's really important. Now, some of you haven't been faithful all your life. You, you, some of you just came to know Jesus. Some of you might come to know Jesus this morning. So I don't want you to feel like Jesus throws you out. He doesn't. In fact, Jesus specializes in working with undependable people. Praise God. I want you to know Jesus falls in love with undependable people. I don't know why, but he does. But I'm sure glad he does because all of us are undependable. 
The guy that founded Promise Keepers proved to be a very undependable man. And he needed grace. And one son of me says, oh, you know, I can't believe it, man. You know, McCartney had so many problems. Jesus always has to work with people that are undependable. What you need to do is be honest about your undependability. But when you're honest about your undependability, you turn away from it. You turn away from your unpromise-keeping ability, your undependability, your unreliability, and you let Jesus, through the power of his Spirit, cause you to become a person that eventually everyone knows you think you're undependable because you're always seeing yourself outside of Christ and you're longing for the Savior to work. But as you learn to really face what you are without Christ and you really connect with Christ, then I can ask an audience, is this person dependable? And everyone will say, you bet, they're dependable. And that's what I covet for every one of you. Like my, what I really pray for this week, I pray that some students that have been undependable students they never do their assignments on time. They just never remember anything. And by the way, when you go to college, so this will help you a lot. One of the big changes for me from high school to college was when I went to college, my professors gave me all of their stuff the first day of class. When the quizzes were, what the papers were, when the tests were, and then they never told me again about it. So we had students come in. I can't believe it. That, that paper was due today. The teacher said, I gave you a paper. One of the greatest testimonies we could be if all the students, college, high school students, graduate students at Midlothian Bible Church, as soon as someone found out they go to Midlothian Bible Church, the teacher automatically knows they'll be dependable. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life. The second quality we want to mention is a quality that you all know really well. It's not hard to explain it. It's the quality of gentleness. It's the quality of gentleness. Gentleness is a quality that we often, as men, we're afraid of it. We don't like the quality of gentleness because we don't want to be thought of as someone who's courteous and considerate and humble. We want to be boisterous and hard and violent, and, and there's an attraction to that. In fact, your culture is going to tell you, even the women these days sometimes are saying, man, I want a man that has a little violence in him. That's your dark side, ladies, and it'll murder you. Because there's very few you ladies that can lift weights. If I take a lady, some of you ladies are really, really in great shape, but if I take the average one of you and have you work out side by side, well, you do the numbers on who gets hurt if we get in a fight. So you ladies, in the long run, don't play that game. You don't want angry, strength, violence. And you all, lady, deep in your soul, know Jesus is right. What I'm looking for is a gentleman. By the way, some of the strongest men, some of the mightiest men, are the ones that are gentle. And you're totally safe because there's strength under control. And Jesus manifested that back in the week ago. Back the, the Old Testament picture of Jesus was Moses. And Moses, it teaches us, was the most gentle of men. An incredible, incredible thing. He was the most gentle person. Jesus, turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Matthew eleven twenty-nine. We have our Savior. And it gives this quality. And you see how all these qualities are rooted in the Lord. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And here's our word. And I am humble. 
you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the ultimate horse whisperer. If you submit to my training, I'm not going to whip you, and I'm not going to be capricious. I'm not going to lose my temper, but I'll be gentle. Jesus is saying, you take my yoke. We don't want to take anybody's yokes, but every one of you are going to have to choose to be under someone's authority, under someone's yoke. And oh, what a great privilege it is for me to say, brothers and sisters, put the yoke of Jesus on your neck. Put yourself under Jesus' authority. And you say, why should I do that, Dave? Because he's always dependable. And his yoke, his discipline, what he'll make you pull will be gentle. In the long run, it'll be okay because he is kind and gentle. The Apostle Paul built on this. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says that part of the new clothing that you have in Jesus is compassionate and gentle. We looked at, we've looked at that several times because we've often related the new clothing that you have in Christ to the picture of the fruit of the Spirit that we have. It's one of the character traits that you look in. I want you to look at Titus chapter 3 in closing. It's one of the character traits that unbelievers should see in us. We looked at this the last time we were together, but I want to stress it again because it's something that we need to really grow in as we work with unbelievers. It says that we, when we're in relationship this week with unbelievers, we need to be, we need to be submissive people that submit to rules and authority, our bosses, policemen, judges. We're a people that's subject to rulers. We're obedient. We're ready to do whatever is good. We're, a, we're a, a spontaneous person. And we slander no one. We're peaceable. And then we have the word considerate. And I want you to see that. That's another word for gentleness. As you go out among the unbelieving world, that you need to be a gentleman. So if you're on the Larry King show, and Larry King asks you, well, do you believe everyone's going to hell? You go, you bet your bottom dollar. Most of the people in the world deserve to go to hell. Because they're dirty, rotten sinners, and I'm God's going to delight in burning them forever and ever. That's not going to work too well. You also don't say, I don't know. You know, I guess we're all going to go. You know, the Hindus have their way, and the Buddhists have their way, and, and, you know, the American Indians have their way, and I just think there's a lot of really great ways, and I think it's marvelous that there is the way, and, and I found Jesus, and maybe you found someone else, and we're all going to go on our way together. That's a lie, and people will be in hell because you said that lie. So what do you say? You say, Larry, I don't decide who goes to hell and who doesn't go to hell, and I'm sure glad I don't but I know the man that is going to decide because I live in a world where he's come and all the world knows his story more than any other story. He's the most powerful story in all the world. His name is Jesus because the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the judge of all men, not Billy Graham, not me, not you, not some guru. Everybody one day see me for Jesus and all that I know is that man, Larry, said, you want to know the way to heaven? You want to know how to get in? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father except through me. Larry, I want all the world, I want every single individual on planet Earth to be able to hear about Jesus. Because the first time he came, he didn't come to judge all men. He came to redeem all men. And all that I know is, that anyone who trusts in Jesus is going to be okay forever and ever and ever. What marvelous, glorious good news.
I told the truth. I was biblical, but I was gentle, and I was faithful. As we close today, Hugh, my friend of the other horse whisperer I shared, and Hugh was sharing with me the other day that, you know, even after he came to know Jesus, you know, you might not know, but all of Hugh's horses are glad he was born again. Because they used to get whipped, and they used to get cussed at, and they used to get, you know, socked out. And so there, all of you's horses have told me, praise God for Jesus. It's marvelous. <laughs> but, you know, some of you are discouraged that I want you to know that, you know, even after you come to know Jesus, you're not always going to be dependable. You're not always going to be gentle. You told me about it. he was working with a young colt, and the young colt was obstinate and just wasn't doing what it was supposed to do, and he tried and tried and tried, and... He has a round pen, and there's a born-again believer that lives right across the street from him, which is really bad. You need, because it would be better with an unbeliever, but it was a believer that was over there. And the believer heard Hugh lose it, shouting, you know, just beating the snot out of this horse, putting, you know, just losing it, pulling the halter down and just slapping the tar out of this horse. And Hugh was so frustrated, he threw everything down and let the horse run free, and he went to his house. He heard a knock on the door. His buddy, his neighbor, says, you, I got to talk to you. He said, okay. He said, you know what, you? You lost it. You can't do that as a born-again believer now. You're, you're a new man in Christ. What did you do then? Do you do that with one another? You know what a lot of you would do? You would say, oh man, he's got that kingdom authority ministries and see, it's a bunch of baloney. I knew the hypocrisy. I'm not going to go to church ever again. Look what those believers do. Not this dear saint. He said, you, Jesus is in your life. And you hugged him and said, you know what? You don't have to even tell me. I already know. I'm sorry. In fact, I've been so discouraged and broken and I also, I just blew months of training him to have to start all over again. And thanks a lot for reminding me that I need to be gentle. And will you forgive me? And the brother said, sure, we all need forgiveness. Maybe you're like that today. You lose it with your son this week. You're working under the car and he wants to help you. You tell him to go get some tools and he brings totally the wrong thing because I don't know whether you need a, you know, five millimeter or a hundred millimeter. So don't ask your son at three to know. And you blew it at him and said, son, you're such a jerk. Maybe this afternoon you need to get along with that son. And said, boy, son, daddy really blew it. I'm so thankful for you to help me. And I was totally unkind and, and rough. Forgive me. Your son will forgive you over and over again if he keeps seeing grace in your life and he sees growth in your life. But if we don't get serious about dependability and gentleness, then this incredible, gentle, faithful Savior will never be known to a whole bunch of people you're going to work with this week. But I believe you can do it. I know you can do it because the fruit of the Spirit is Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I'm looking at the future people that are going to be dependable, 
people that I can put my confidence in and it'll be well-founded and gentle people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, drive home these lessons and powerfully, like a mighty wind, move these characteristics into our life. But I thank you that you use the means of your word, the preaching, the personal study, the accountability of a friend that goes to another friend. I pray that those kinds of relationships together would powerfully grow this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.